Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. Well, it's great to be together. Really quick update from Compassion Canada. Uh, Amy from Compassion, they were here with us last week, and of course we had our Compassion Sunday last week, and Amy sent an email to us this week, and she was so encouraged and so thrilled, and she just wanted to reiterate again to the church how thankful they are for this church and how blessed they were, and how often when they come, they find such an unusual response from this particular local church, and we're thankful for that, and we were able to see 29 Dear Precious Children sponsored out of 40, so praise the Lord, 19 of them from the new cluster in Peru, and there's still opportunity within the next week or so to get on that and to sponsor a child if you haven't already done that or weren't able to get on that. If you are not signed up for our eConnect, sign up for that. There's going to be a link that's sent out that you can go to, and you can find all the information you need to find out how you can sponsor a child and, in fact, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to these children and see lives moved from death to life. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. I was thinking this week as I was prepping the message here from Habakkuk, and we're going to get to the text in a moment, perspective. Perspective is a very powerful thing, isn't it? It's like the man who does nothing but complain about his job, and all of a sudden he's hit with a moment of perspective. All of a sudden, he's filled with appreciation for his job because all of a sudden, he realizes that without his job, he wouldn't be able to feed his family. All of a sudden, he's hit with a moment of perspective because all of a sudden, he realizes that without this job that he's been complaining about, he wouldn't be able to keep a roof over his family's head. And so perspective floods in. Perspective is a powerful thing. Or the group of Christians who grumble and gossip and pontificate about their country or the way things are in their country. And all of a sudden, they're hit with a moment of perspective when they realize that while their country is very imperfect and while their country is declining in many ways morally and while their country is needing of much change and while their country is greatly dependent on the prayers of the church, all of a sudden, the moment of perspective shines in when they realize just how rampant oppression and corruption and persecution is out there in other nations of the world. All of a sudden, perspective floods in and humility floods in when you begin to realize that, wow, in the midst of all the chaos of our nation, we do have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Perspective is a powerful thing. Or it's like the imprisoned pastor in North Korea or the underground church in China or the rapidly expanding church in Iran. They remain joyful and filled with peace because they believe that no matter how hard it gets here, that their present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to them one day. Perspective. Perspective is a very powerful thing. 
Have you had a moment of perspective recently? Have you had enough time with the Lord in silence and solitude and in his word and in prayer or in fellowship with other believers when you had a moment of perspective when all of a sudden your situation was brought into clear focus and all of a sudden complaining turned to thanksgiving and all of a sudden you began to see things a little bit differently? Have you had a moment of perspective lately? Well, after two rounds of lament and honest questioning in Habakkuk chapter 1, chapter 2 is about what we're about to go into. Chapter 2 gives way to some much-needed perspective for the prophet Habakkuk. After two rounds of why and how long, and it seems like you're not listening, and it feels like you're not paying attention, and it feels like you're inactive, God graciously answers the prophet with some much-needed perspective. I want you to take your Bible and go with me to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can put up your hand, and one of the ushers would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. We'd love you to take it home and read it and have your life changed by the Word of God. Habakkuk chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. If you don't know where Habakkuk is in your Bible, just go right to the end of the Old Testament and rewind. Go from Malachi to Zechariah to Haggai to Zephaniah, and there you'll find Habakkuk. The title of this morning's message is this, When Perspective Comes. And we're going to find perspective coming to the prophet Habakkuk, and we're going to find also perspective for our lives today. I'm going to start by reading verses 3 to 4, and then verse 14, and then as the message goes on, we're going to touch Every single verse from verses 6 to 20. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3 says this. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Listen, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. He says in verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. Speaking of the Chaldeans, it is not upright within him, but, now speaking of God's people, the righteous shall live by his faith. Go down to verse 14 now. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We saw last week that Habakkuk was learning to wait on God. We've seen in previous messages that Habakkuk is a man of prayer. He's learned to lament. He's learned to cry out to his God. He's learned to ask questions, honest questions before his God. He's learned to wrestle with his God. And, and in moments of wrestling, he's found God to be a little bit slow. He's, he's wondered if God is in fact listening and paying attention. Now in Habakkuk chapter 2, what we have is God answering with some much needed perspective for Habakkuk. And so this is where I want us to start today. If you have a pen and a notepad and you're taking notes, you can jot this down. When God seems slow, we need the right perspective. Here's point number one. Every evil plan will ultimately fail. 
Every evil plan will ultimately fail. In verses 6 to 20, we see five woes or five warnings or five poetic songs of judgment that mock the evil nation of Babylon, but also all who would insist on rebellion against God. Now God begins to take Habakkuk to a moment of perspective. He begins to shine a light on the situation. Habakkuk looks around and he sees destruction everywhere. He sees immorality everywhere. And he's wondering when and how God is going to step in. And God has said, I'm stepping in. I have a plan. If it seems like it's slow, wait. And now he shines the light of perspective. In verses 6 to 20, I want you to remember that it's God himself who is speaking. And it's in these verses that God gives Habakkuk the much needed perspective that he's waiting for. And here's the truth that puts everything into perspective. Rest assured, Habakkuk, I know it seems slow. But you could be confident in this. Every evil plan will ultimately fail. Now, some of us need this perspective today because some of us are looking around our lives. We're looking around the injustices in the world. We're looking around all the things that are happening. We're seeing earthquakes in Turkey. We're seeing persecution rampant around the world. We're seeing churches decline. We're seeing pastors move away from the exposition of God's word. We're seeing all kinds of stuff around us that are troubling us. And sometimes for us, it feels like God is not acting. But here is some much needed perspective for the prophet Habakkuk and for us. If you find yourself troubled by the evil in the world, If you find yourself increasingly concerned, when is God going to act? This is going on too long. Rest assured, every evil plan will ultimately fail. So let me show you a few things from the text. When God's activity seems slow in our context, in our lives, and throughout all of redemptive history, we can be sure of this. We must remember that God will bring down all, number one is this, all oppression. Okay? All oppression. I want you to notice it in the text. Verses 6 to 8. Here's the first woe. God says, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? And those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them because you will have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. God is extending a woe and a warning and almost a taunt, it's called, to the people of Babylon, to the nation that rises up to oppress other nations. And it's not only for that context, but it's for every context. God will bring down every evil plan one day. Here's some much-needed perspective. All oppression will be brought down by God. Now, as typical of biblical wisdom literature, those who suffered under oppression were given, as I said, a taunt or a woe to deliver against their oppressor. And God is giving his oppressed people this woe to the Chaldeans, the Babylonians who have taken what is not their own and violently plundered the nations. Judgment is pronounced here. They will soon be plundered in the same way. That's going to happen. All the oppression of the world, loved ones, 
will one day fall and fail under the sovereign and powerful hand of God. And if you feel like nothing's happening, and you feel like it's slow, and you feel like God's not paying attention, and you're suffering even in your own life under some kind of oppression, God gives the prophet Habakkuk and us a much-needed perspective. God says, I'm paying attention. God says, I have a plan. God says, I'm always working, even when you can't see it. And one day, all oppression will be brought down, whether it's Russia oppressing and plundering the Ukraine, or whether it's the Ukraine oppressing and plundering their own people, or whether it's China oppressing and threatening Taiwan, or whether it's Iran threatening and targeting Israel, or whether it's inner city gangs oppressing and plundering children on their way to school, or a greedy, selfish husband oppressing and plundering his own family. One day, the score will be settled. God is a God of grace, and God is a God of judgment against all sin, and this is just a reality, and it's also a warning. These woes come as a mock, as a taunt against all the nations that would resist God and oppress others, but it comes as a warning as well to all who would perhaps be in this room rejecting God and acting in ways that are contrary to his will and his purposes. Loved ones, if you think that God is absent from all the global or national or domestic conflicts around us, Habakkuk says, think again. Here's some perspective. Every evil plan of oppression will fail. When God's activity seems slow, you must remember that God will bring down all oppression. Secondly, this, when God's activity seems slow, you must remember that God will bring down all uh, exploitation. All exploitation. Look at verses 9 to 11. Here's the second woe. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Now, this second woe can be described as exploitation. The Chaldeans built their houses by taking unfair advantage of others. They benefited from unjust gain. And here's the reality. Exploitation fills our world today in a way that many of us aren't even paying attention to, but in a way that burdens so many of us. For example, you may be startled to know that statistics reveal that the number one search term used in search engine sites is the word uh, sex. Users searched for sex more than any other terms, more than terms like games, travel, music, jokes, cars, weather, health, and jobs combined. The approximate number of unique visitors to adult websites every month is 72 million people worldwide and growing. The total number of porn pages on the internet was estimated at 420 million. Listen to this. Revenues from the sex and porn industry in one year were $13.3 billion. 
Just to put that in perspective for you, that's larger than NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball revenues combined. Why am I telling you this? Well, I'm telling you this because there is exploitation running rampant all over our world today. And maybe you haven't been paying enough attention to be burdened by it, but maybe you're here and you're extremely burdened by it. And you think, how can this be? How can human beings be exploited like this and be taken advantage of like this? Money is being earned at the expense of, in many cases, young women. If you look around the world and you see exploitation everywhere, and you're wringing your hands and you're frustrated and you're looking up to the heavens and you're saying, God, when is this going to come to an end? Is this going to come to an end? Here's some much needed perspective for you. God is not blind and God is not deaf. God sees all the exploitation. He saw the exploitation of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, and he extends this woe, this judgment, this warning. If you keep going, you're going down. God is going to bring it down. And that's true. You may seem like it's slow, but one day God will bring down all exploitation in the world. Now, this is important perspective for us because sometimes we get caught up in our own little world and our own little bubble and we get frustrated and we get anxious and we get burdened and we doubt God and we say it's taking too long and doesn't look like you're acting. And God says, hang on. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will not delay. God will bring down all exploitation as well as all oppression. And there's a warning. If there are people that are participating in the exploitation of others, maybe even in this room, if there are people that are benefiting unfairly, financially from others, maybe in your business, maybe somehow in your personal life, there is a call to repent. There isn't a call to, there is a call to escape judgment. But for all who refuse, there will be an impending judgment. When God's activity seems slow, you must remember that God will bring down all oppression and all exploitation. Thirdly, this, when God's activity seems slow, you must remember that God will bring down all iniquity, iniquity or sin. Notice verses 12 to 14. Here's the third woe. Woe to him who builds a town with blood, and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? Watch this now. Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Now here in the midst of this, the Lord brings a ray of great hope as he shines the light of perspective into 
Habakkuk's perplexed heart, this third woe announcing the coming judgment against the iniquity of specifically murder and bloodshed. And then he contrasts the reality of widespread iniquity with the future reality of God's redemptive purposes for the world. And this is where he shines hope. And this is the hope that brings to us a much needed perspective that iniquity and evil and bloodshed appear to be winning the day. It appears to be winning the day, even in our day, whether it's crime or domestic crimes of murder or murder on the battlefield with unjust nations at the helm of it, whatever it is, it appears to be winning the day. But here's the hope and the perspective. One day, God says to Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. This is happening. This is going to happen. As broken as the world is, as weary as we are of this world, we turn on the news station or go through our social media feeds and we hear about murder and bloodshed and abuses and domestic violence. Here's the ray of hope. God says to Habakkuk, one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. This is his purpose from the beginning. And we as Christians should understand this more than anyone. We as Christians should have this perspective because we as Christians live on the other side of the cross. We understand how this comes about. We may not be able to conceive of it when we get drowned in the midst of all the noise of the world. But if you just elevate your perspective and, and remember the beauty of the gospel, you begin to realize, oh, this is what God is doing through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus comes to redeem not only the people of Israel, but to redeem people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And this is the task given to the church to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he's commanded. We are to go and to participate in this awesome purpose of filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. Amen. You can clap if you want. And so all of a sudden, this puts things in perspective because if you're like me, you get in a corner in your house or your apartment or your bedroom and you get so overwhelmed by what's wrong with the world. Don't we do that? And we say, how long, Lord, and why? And we don't understand why you're delaying. And I, I can't comprehend again why this devastation has come upon this country or this family or this person and we wrestle and we get enveloped in all the brokenness of the world. Now God encourages Habakkuk. He says, yes, pray. Yes, lament. Yes, wrestle with me. And now he shines a ray of light, a ray of perspective into his situation. I am not blind, God says. I'm paying attention. And this is a powerful truth. That one day, one day Jesus Christ will return. Yes, he's coming back. And he will set up his kingdom. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And the earth will be filled 
with the knowledge of the glory of God. And we get to participate in that. I heard from Sally this morning how about 40 volunteers went into those three buildings yesterday. And Sally could hardly contain herself with the excitement. They keep asking us for Bibles. Do you know what that is? That's an increasing, that's an advance of the gospel as people respond to Jesus Christ. And that is more and more areas of the earth understanding and having a knowledge of the glory of God. As we consider our global missions strategy and how we want to go out and reach the nations, we get to participate in seeing the knowledge of the glory of God fill the earth like waters fill the sea or cover the sea. That means that it's going to permeate every aspect of the earth. A knowledge. It's not just intellectual knowledge. The text speaks of personal knowledge of people embracing salvation through Jesus Christ. How about that for some perspective? You're going to work tomorrow morning and you drag your feet in and you're grumbling and you're complaining. And my boss is this. When is he going to change? Or my supervisor is that. When is she going to change? And just grumble in and maybe the Lord is shining a light of perspective. One day, all the oppression and the iniquity and the exploitation and the injustice will be done away with. And for now, here's some light. You get to be part of this beautiful purpose of seeing the knowledge of the glory of God fill the earth. And one day, it will be completely filled. When God's activity seems slow, you must remember that God will bring down all oppression and exploitation and iniquity. Fourthly, and briefly, this. When God's activity seems slow, you must remember that God will bring down all immorality. I'll show it to you in the text in verses 15 to 17. Woe to him, is the fourth woe, who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. He's talking about the immorality of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. Watch this. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. For drunkenness and sexual immorality and shameful behavior, the cup of the Lord's right hand in the text, it represents the Lord's judgment. And here's what I want you to see. There is yet again another warning here. Not only for the Chaldeans in that context, but also for us. For us who insist to live a life of immorality, for us who maybe come to church but have rejected Jesus, and we think if we come to church, somehow that earns us some kind of points with God, but behind closed doors or when no one's looking, when you're away from this place, you are immersed in immorality. And there's a warning here. The judgment of God comes towards all who refuse to repent. But here's the beautiful gospel. Grace is available to all who will respond to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. But rest assured, for those who will not, for the nations who will not, 
for the people in this room, for the people around the world who will not. The things that we glory in and boast in, the immorality that we glory in and boast in, it will quickly be turned to shame. God's judgment will come upon you. I saw this week, I I don't know, I think it was at the Grammy Awards, there was some artist, I think his name was uh, Sam Smith, don't quote me, I'm not too in tune with these things, but a performance at the Grammy Awards, which was overt Satan worship. I don't know if you saw that. And you look at that and you think, man, how the, the culture has denigrated. And here's this guy on the stage worshiping Satan. And he's being celebrated. And it seems like a lot of glory is coming to him. And there's a lot of cheers and clapping and people like his music. And there's a great response in the crowd. When I heard about that, I was so disturbed. And yet a light of perspective. They may feel like they're experiencing glory now. But the judgment of God will come around to them. And to all who refuse to repent. I remember being in high school and friends uh, bragging about getting drunk. As if it's something to glory in. Or bragging about getting high as if it's something to glory in. Or bragging about their sexual promiscuity as if it's something to glory in. Apart from repentance, their glory will be turned to shame. And the judgment of God will come upon every unrepentant heart. This is the perspective we need. And perhaps for maybe one or two or ten in this room, this is the warning we need. Come to Jesus Christ if you're in this room and you're embracing a life of immorality. Maybe nobody knows about it. Maybe nobody sees it. Come to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Your glory will be turned to shame. And you will not stand in that day when the judgment of God does away with all immorality. That day is coming. Until then, there is a day of grace and warning. And you can look to the cross and see a Savior who loves you and longs to rescue you. Maybe today's a day for even one person to turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ. When God's activity seems slow, you must remember that God will bring down all oppression and exploitation, iniquity, immorality. Finally, this, when God's activity seems slow, you must remember that God will bring down all idolatry. Idolatry. Look at verses 18 to 19. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. He's saying, don't you see? What what gain is there to worship an idol that you have created? It, It doesn't make sense. And he goes on, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Isn't that what idolatry is? It's a trusting in ourselves. 
to trusting in something that is not the one true living trustworthy God. And then he says in verse 19, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. Idolatry, anything that we look to for our salvation, for our satisfaction, for our peace, and all the idols of the world will come crashing down, loved ones, and the living God will be known and worshipped for who he really is. Here's a question for you. What are your idols? What are the things that you have put your trust in? And when you think about it, you put your trust in something of your own making. It cannot speak to you. It cannot save you. It cannot help you. One day every idol will come crashing down. And if you put your trust in your house or your dwelling, it can't help you. The house can't speak to you. Can't save you, can't help you, can't encourage you, can't speak life to you. It's just brick and mortar. It'll come crashing down one day. Or money. Some of us are getting very anxious about the state of the economy. Some of us may be even holding back the opportunity to invest in treasures in heaven, holding back their giving because they're worshiping their money, perhaps. Because somehow they think their money can speak to them, can bless them, can help them. It can do nothing for you. One day the idol will come crashing down. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Nothing can touch that. This is the reality of the perspective that God is giving to Habakkuk and to us. And if you look around and you see the idolatry rampant all around you and you're getting so anxious and burdened by it and you're throwing up your hands and saying, what can we do? Remember, the vision is given to Habakkuk. He says, if it seems slow, wait for it. That's verse 3 of chapter 2. It will not lie. It will not delay. And here now in chapter 2, God is elevating Habakkuk's perspective. That one day, every evil plan will fail. God will bring down all the oppression and the exploitation and the iniquity and the immorality and the idolatry. And if that doesn't lift up your perspective and cause you to look to the heavens, I don't know what else will. That we have a God on our side who loves us, who's with us, who has a purpose, and he has a plan. And we feel like he's slow sometimes, but he is always on time. And he is trustworthy because, in fact, he is holding the galaxies and the universe in his hand. And everything is moving moving towards his intended end. Therefore, if you're a child of God and a believer in Jesus Christ and you've put your trust in him, no matter what's happening in your life, you can sleep well tonight because he is in control. Amen. God seems slow. We need to the right perspective. Every evil plan will ultimately fail. Second point is this, and, and, and very brief. God's righteous people will live by faith. Okay, every evil plan will ultimately fail really quickly, but very important. God's righteous people will live by faith. Look at verse 20, and then we're going to end here. Verse 20 says, but the Lord, but the Lord 
is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now this entire section of scripture really flows from verse 4. And the whole section is really a contrasting of the oppressive, exploiting, sinful, immoral, and idolatrous Chaldeans with the righteous people of God. Remember verse 4. Behold, his soul, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but but the righteous shall live by his faith. And here in verse 20, we have the expression of those who live by faith, those who trust in the Lord, those who look upon the brokenness and the perversity and the injustice of the world and struggle to understand it, but simultaneously choose to believe that God is in control. Here is what the righteous know, that in the face of all that's happening in the world around us, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. One commentator said it this way, one should wait upon him in the odd silence that is often the most appropriate expression of true worship. Now consider that. The righteous shall live by faith. Oh, loved ones, are you anxious about the future today? You're burdened by the cultural trajectory? Are you concerned about the state of Christianity in our country or around the world? Are you eager but discouraged about the cause of global missions and seeing the gospel go around the world? Habakkuk teaches us that it's always a time for prayer. And Habakkuk teaches us that there's certainly a time for questioning and lament. And Habakkuk teaches us, loved ones, that there's also a time of perspective and silence. The expression of the heart that is filled with perspective knows he is in his holy temple. And when perspective comes in, there's a time to sit back and trust. I wait for him in silence. I worship him in silence because I know where he is and I know what he can do. I wonder if some of us have been so worked up lately. I want to help you, and Habakkuk wants to help you. God's word wants to help you. What is the thing that you're getting all worked up about? Perhaps you've wrestled with God, you've lamented, you've cried out, and perhaps you need to keep doing that. We saw the theological category of lament last week. Perhaps you need to keep doing that, but perhaps God is shining a light on your situation, and he's even saying to you, there is a time for silence. Why? Because the one who is silent is the one who is resolved in their heart. Everything's going to be okay because he is in his holy temple and I can trust him. Amen? Let's pray together.
Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is really alive and active. Your word tells us of your word that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. We love your word in this church. And I pray for my friends in this room. And I pray for our church collectively. That as the watching world looks at us, they see a people who trust in God and who can approach their God with honest questions and, and wrestling with his purposes and lamenting the hard things in the world. But they would also see that these are people who trust him enough to sit silent sometimes because they know that God is on his throne and he is working. Lord, I pray for these people in this room, the precious people of our church. Only you know the things they're wrestling with, each of them. You know the things that are burdening their hearts. And Lord, I ask you in faith right now that you would extend your hand towards each burdened heart today. Fill us with faith. Fill us with confidence. Fill us with trust. For those of us that have been wringing our hands and finding ourselves frustrated and neglecting your truth, let this be a day where we move towards you and grab the book again and repent of our sins. Lord, I pray for those that this text today has been a warning for. If there's anyone in this room that is living a life of immorality or oppressing others or exploitation or iniquity or idolatry. Lord, I pray your gospel would be so crystal clear. On this side of the cross, we see how the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God, filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. It's through a response to the gospel that another heart gets saved and more ground is taken for you. Lord, I pray if there's even one in this room that needs to put their faith and trust in you, that they would cast down their idolatry and immorality and they would come to you today. That's your work to do. So we trust you to do it now. Please, Lord. In this church and in our city, in our country, around the world. For your name's sake and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. You agree, say amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.